promises are, are kind of worth a grain of salt nowadays, aren't they, really? I, I mean, if you want to be honest, uh, when we make promises, sometimes we have to... They're culturally required in certain circumstances to make a promise, but even then, it's, it's not likely that it's going to be fulfilled. I, I mean, as I researched this, uh, for this sermon, I ran across a list of five of the most common broken promises. And I want to share them with you today, but before I get into those, I just want you to know, don't, you don't have to out yourself. Okay, don't out yourself whenever, whenever I'm reading over these. If this is something that you typically break uh, because your neighbor is going to nudge you and you're going to know and everybody's going to point at you, okay? All right? All right, so most broken promises, number one, not keeping in touch. Yeah, we're going to keep in touch, no problem. I'll, I'll give you a call. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Or, or what about not following through with plans, right? I thought you said you were going to meet me for lunch. That's a bro broken promise. Uh, not keeping New Year's resolution. Yikes. Okay, yeah. So, I'm not down 30 pounds since the New Year. My bad. Uh, not keeping financial commitments. Okay, yeah. Mom, you said you were going to give me $5. I don't remember that. <laughs> and uh, finally, not keeping deadlines. Not keeping deadlines. Pushing it back. Asking for an extension. I'm, I'm the worst at this because uh, the truth is, is that my wife has been asking me to do several things lately. I gave her like a, a date that I could do them in. And man, I've just blown past them. I've broken those things. But I, I also took the liberty of preparing the most common, commonly broken promises, the Christ Legacy Edition. The Christ, okay, you ready? All right, don't feel bad, okay? People will out you. <laughs> I'll pray about helping in the nursery, I promise. Uh, yeah, I, I think some, okay, anyway. I will pay attention to the video announcements, I promise. I, I'll sign up today, I promise. <laughs> hey, listen, let's just meet in the foyer after church. We'll talk about it then, I promise. Or what about this one? I am not going to miss the first song again, I promise. <laughs> Anybody guilty of any of these? <laughs> or is it just me? Now, the truth is, is that, is that because we live in a culture and a society that we want to say, we want to just be completely honest. We, wanna, we want our word to mean what we say it is going to mean. We should let our yes be yes and our no be no. That's what Jesus said. But, but sometimes we have to back up what we say with a promise. And then even then, we break our promises. And, and that's just how life goes sometimes. But what would happen if you had to really count on promises that were made to you? What if your life depended on the fact that your daughter was going to be home at curfew? Ooh. Or, or what would happen if, 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 you had to, if you had to make sure that something was going to happen when you said it was going to happen? 
All, all of these promises that we would try to make to ourselves, we would try to make to others, like, uh, for instance, what would happen if one of your clients, uh, if the food on your family's table depended on one of your clients saying, the check is in the mail, and it really was in the mail? Those are tough, real-life circumstances, and at some point in time, the things that we promise actually mean something whenever they're broken. They have real-life consequences to them. And some of those promises, depending on what they are, lead to serious hurt, serious pain, serious consequences. And at the end of them, they can cause us to, it can make it hard for us to trust somebody else with anything that they say or, go, uh, or do. And as Christians, if you think about it, we stake more than that on God's promises. We stake our families, our jobs. We stake our eternal life on the promises that God has given to us. So there's a problem sometimes because we have a hard time trusting in promises that are made. We have a hard time leaning and depending and trusting and hoping and the promises that God has given to us. I want to read to you out of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 20, as we talk about the message today about our hope and his promises. For example, there was God's promises to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure that we that he would never change his mind come on somebody, somebody say amen so God has given both his promise and his oath these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have, been, who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for the soul. It leads us through the, the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become Become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Wow. Praise the Lord for the promises that he's given to us. And, and my goal today is to remind everybody of the promises that he's given to us that are in his word. You can believe it. You can trust it with your life. And you can know something for sure that he will never, ever, ever let us down. Somebody say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. I pray, Lord, that if there is a doubt, if there is a sliver of anxiety, if there is a, a moment, Lord, of mistrust, Lord, I pray, God, that you would allow those moments and those things to melt away in the presence of the promises that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. See, sometimes the promises that we that we have gone, that we've experienced, 
are difficult to trust. It, it really is about perspective. My wife and I, um, we, were, uh, we were sitting in the living room. The kids have gone to bed, and we were sitting there talking and, and, and just kind of hanging out. And I, had a, I had my iPad, and, and I, was, uh, I was drawing. She said, let me see that. So I handed it over to her. And she started looking at me, and she'd do something, and she'd look at me again, and she'd do something more. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm drawing you. I said, what? I'm drawing you. So she was busy for about five minutes or so, and then she turned it around. And um, let's just say it didn't look like me. Okay? It didn't look like me. I won't tell you what it looked like, but it wasn't me. So I said, okay, okay, let me see that thing. And I flipped to a new page and I started drawing her. And now I was very serious. She wasn't, she wasn't serious. She was kind of, she was kind of just kind of freehanding it. I, I sat there and I very seriously tried to draw. And um, I would show you the picture, but I am embarrassed. <laughs> Because the picture that I drew of her did not look like what I see in you, sweetheart. And it didn't look like how I feel about you. Okay? Um, it was not good. Those, that, those people that know me, they, they, they would say this. They, you know, although maybe I'm multi-talented and multifaceted in some aspects, know that one of my severe limitations is the ability, ability to draw. I just can't. But I do love art. Uh, my wife and I used to go to the Dallas Museum of Art on dates. When we were first married, we didn't have kids. And we loved Thursday nights because Thursday night was live jazz night. Anybody like live jazz? My people, I like live jazz. I love live jazz. So we'd go to museum, uh, Dallas Museum of Art, go to live jazz night, and we'd walk through the museum. And that's where uh, my love for perspective art started. So I love perspective art because it gives you the opportunity to see the artist, see the, the world through the artist's eyes. And as you can see on the screen, this is an example of perspective art. These, uh, these are wooden balls hung from a, a braided uh, thread. And as you're coming in from the side, you can't really tell. It all looks mixed up. It looks like there's no rhyme or reason to what is going on. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But as you travel into the directionality of where the artist intends for you to view it, it all of a sudden makes perfect sense. And as I think about that, I realize something, that that's exactly how our lives feel at times. That, that, that we look at our lives and we see event after event. We see these random things that are happening to us. Sometimes things are great. Sometimes they're not so great. There's highs and there's lows. And we can't make sense of it because of the perception, our perspective. But when you and I move over and get into the perspective that God has, everything becomes clear. We can see it exactly as God intended it, and it makes perfect sense. And I kind of wonder if that's how Abraham felt about his life when God called him. You see, in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham was an old man by anybody's measurement. I mean, he was 100 years old, and he had Isaac, his first son, his one son. And he loved him. And by age 25, 
God called Abraham and said, go and sacrifice your one and only son on Mount Moriah. And Abraham must have been so confused. He must, have, he must have been in such agony and such pain. It didn't make any sense to him. He's looking at everything as, as random. Now, Isaac being 25 years old, as they're walking up to the mountain after a three-day journey, and they, he says, Dad, we got all the stuff to make the altar, but, but we don't got the sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham turns to Isaac and says, God's going to provide the sacrifice, son. So they make the altar, and they set everything out, and they get everything ready. And Abraham calls his son, and he binds his son's hands and feet. He lays his son on the altar. And the imagery here is profound because we know that that 25-year-old son willingly obeyed his father. And as Abraham held the knife preparing to sacrifice his son, Abraham heard a voice from heaven, heaven saying, stop. And that's when we pick up our text, Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. It says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from, from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn. Somebody say sworn. Declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your one and only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemy. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Even as Abraham is doing everything he knows to do in obedience to God, things weren't clear. Even after receiving this promise from God himself, hearing the voice of God come out of heaven, you can't believe that Abraham saw things perfectly and clearly. It's only on this side of the New Testament that we can look back and we can say, oh, I understand that. That's a type and a shadow of Jesus in the Old Testament as he was being, as Isaac was being sacrificed. So Jesus was going to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And even on Mount Moriah, which is the, the location of the Temple Mount now, we can see that that's exactly uh, close to where Jesus was crucified. We can see all these things unfold, but it wasn't clear to, to Abraham. In that moment, Jesus, in that moment, God is saying, by myself, I have sworn. That's the thing that sticks out to me the most, that he swears by himself. In order for us to gain that proper perspective, to reorient ourselves to see what, what God is showing us, we have to look at what God showed the writer of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, the writer of Hebrews says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure he would never change his mind. He's never going to change his mind. Not from that moment, thousands of years ago till now, that promise is for sure. See, we already have established the fact that we can't trust each other's promise. 
<laughs> we, can't, we, ne we can't necessarily trust our own promises to ourselves, let alone somebody else's. That's why we have to swear, and that's why we take an oath, that's why we have to raise our right, or place our right hand on, on the Bible and swear into court, is because we feel the need to promise on something greater than ourselves that will back up our character as we make a statement. See, God, God doesn't have to do that. He, when He says something, that's just the way it is. That's just how it is. He doesn't even have to back himself up because that's who he is. There's nothing to back himself up. But here we are in a, in a day where, as a kid, you, you know, you, you, had to, you had to provide the ultimate oath, the ultimate promise, the pinky swear. You can't break a pinky swear, Dad. Later on, you know, when you got a little older, you'd spit and shake on it. Anybody spit and shake on it? After COVID, you're not supposed to do that, I've heard. <laughs> right? And then, and then soon, it was, uh, it's signing on the dotted line, signing contracts. And nowadays, your word is so not good enough that you have to have a biometrical scan of your face linked to your bank account so that if you don't do what you said you were going to do, they're going to drive money out your account. And contracts have been integrated into our lives in such an extent. But Jesus was pretty clear, wasn't he, whenever he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. It's because people were promising and swearing so much that it just didn't mean anything and it ended up being a lie. But on rare occasions in God's Word, God wants us to identify Himself so much with truth and honesty and, and justice and righteousness that He appeals to our humanity whenever He takes an oath. We need to understand the character of God's nature. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he would lie, nor son of man that he would change his mind. Has he said, and I will, uh, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? You see, God can't lie. When he says something, it happens. Out of his mouth, he created the whole universe that was spoken. That means that he didn't just create you and me, but he created the laws of nature in which scientists use to study and make predictions and, 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 and know that there's one thing that's constant. It's the law of nature. It's like gravity. We know that if I jump off of this, I'm not going to float up. If I jump off of this, I'm going to hurt myself. Because I'm going to hit the ground hard. I'm not scared of falling. I'm scared of hitting. And I'm going to show you. No, I'm just, no I won't. <laughs> See, the, the idea is simply this. That God's word is so powerful and so sure that that's what... Not only slung the stars into the sky, but it set the laws of nature. It's as sure as gravity. It's as sure as math. And his word, as he revealed himself, is sure as well. But yet we have a hard time trusting and believing in the word of God. 
He says in his word what he promises. And if his, if his word is as good as gravity is, then his promises to us are that good, if not better. God's word placed everything in motion. His oaths are important too. And I want to show you a few of the oaths that he's taken with us in mind throughout scripture. God himself takes a sacred oath. He voluntarily swears on the highest thing that created the universe, the, the most authoritative thing. And since there's nothing greater than God, he swears on his own. It's as if he lifts his hand and says, I swear to me. Genesis chapter 22, he swore to Abraham. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, I have sworn by myself. Jeremiah 22, 5, but if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself. Each one of these moments, God takes and he swears an oath to his people by the highest authority in heaven, by himself. God has promised us things in his word. And his promises are two unchanging things. Promises and oaths are two unchanging things. We read further in the book of Hebrews that God's promises and God's oaths cannot change. God, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things un, are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Somebody say hope. We can have confidence in the hope in the promises that God has given to us. But but how do you have hope in something that you haven't seen? That's the only way to have hope in something that you haven't seen. But there are promises that God has given to us that haven't occurred yet. God said he'd save you and he did. But there's other promises that are remaining in your life and in my life. He promised that he would come back for us. He hasn't yet, but how many believe that he's going to come back for us? Amen. He promised that we would live forever with him. Anybody looking forward to that? He promised us that we would have a complete healing. Amen. And there are more promises in God's word that he's given to us that we can have hope on, that we can cling to, that we can hold on to and be sure about it. We can have confidence about these promises. These, these promises are locked down tighter than the laws of gravity themselves. We can trust in his word. See, the, the thing that we need to remember is that his promises are conditional. They're conditional. My family and I had a really difficult time last night as we were gathered around the dinner table. My wife made some food and it was really good. I had two bowls of, uh, anybody like Frito chili pie? Oh man. That's my problem. I like everything, but Frito chili pie. But my kids didn't want to eat any of it. They were complaining about the food, as kids will do, because it wasn't chicken nuggets or pizza. And they want to push the bowl away, and they want to say, Daddy, I don't want the food. I just want dessert, and I want to eat my snacks, and I want to have some gummies, and I want to have a glass of milk before bed, and all of this stuff, because they don't want to eat dinner. 
But guess what? I told my, my kids, you can have dessert. You can have a snack. You can have milk. You can have anything that you want, but you better eat that food. I'm not going to eat my food, Dad. I said, you better eat that food. I'm not going to eat that food, Dad. I said, you're going to eat that food now. <laughs> it was an hour to eat a half a bowl of Frito chili pie. But how many believe that we ate the Frito chili pie at my house? And guess what? Everybody got dessert. Because there's a contractual agreement that goes there, an expectation that if you do something, then I do something. And that's what we see in contracts. That's what we see. And many people here are probably familiar with the idea of contracts. Um, contracts are very important. We, we participate in contracts all through our life. If you update things on your phone, you've gone in, into a contract with the phone provider. If you, um, if you purchase an app, you've gone into a contract. You've done tons of stuff. Contracts are such a part of our life that we take for granted how many contracts we're in. But, but there's a very clear structure for contracts. And there's eight uh, uh, essential elements in every good contract. The first essential element is an offer. An offer is a proposal made by one party to another indicating a, a willingness to enter into the contract in the specific terms. Okay. There's acceptance. Somebody has to accept that term. There's considerations. There has to be considerations put up uh, to fulfill that contract. There's uh, intention of, of, uh, to create legal relations. In other words, uh, there has to be legality surrounding that contract. It's not just an offhand agreement or, you know, a domestic agreement. It's a contract legally binding. There, there's got to be capacity, right? You've got to be 18, to sign. You got to be in the right mind. You can't be uh, inebriated to, to, to sign that contract. There's got to be legality about the contract. The object of the contract must be legal and agreed. The agreement must be, uh, must not be contrary to public policy in any illegal way. You can't have an illegal contract. The contract can't break the law. Okay, the, there has to be consent. The parties must enter into the contract voluntarily. They can't be forced into a contract. There's got to be certainty. The terms of the contract must be clear and certain, and the parties must understand what they're agreeing to. And finally, the eighth portion of the, the eighth essential portion of every contract is this. There has to be certainty. The terms of the contract. I, I, did I just say that? I said I said eight twice. Okay, so you got to be certain about it. The reason I wanted us to understand these eight portions of every contract is simply this, because God has given us promises. These are contracts with us, with His people. And when we look down each portion, we find out that off, that offer is good for us. See, God offered us salvation through faith in Christ. We can accept that offer and communicate our agreement through our words and our life. The consideration is that God gave us his son and we in return give him our lives. 
Our, our intention is that the, there are consequences on either side if either violates the contract, but God can't. It's only us that end up violating it. We have the capacity through the Holy Spirit that illuminates our minds and reveals to us our sins so that we can uh, make a decision for Him or not for Him. Okay? There's legality. God sacrifice, uh, satisfies His own justice by offering it to us, but He will not force you to go into it. There's consent. God will not, again, will not force you to enter into the contract of salvation. And finally, there's certainty. God has revealed himself and his contract through his word. And it's certain and it's sure. You see, the thing that we have to understand with this contract is that not everybody is going to be saved. That's sad, isn't it? Because of God's justice, not everybody is going to be saved. Everybody can be saved, but not everybody is going to be saved. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12 tells us, Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts, in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Now listen to verse 12. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. That means that th there are those that are going to inherit God's promise because of their faith and endurance, but there's going to be there those that do not inherit God's promises because of their lack of faith and their lack of endurance. You see, for every problem, there's an expectation. We all know what that's like whenever I try to, try to give my kids dessert, but the expectation is, is they got to eat their food. David understood this whenever he was uh, up, in, um, uh, up in years and he was about to pass away. His, some of his last words were reminders of God's promises. 1 Kings 2.4, if you do this, then the Lord will keep the promises he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of, of Israel. See, it's an if-then statement. If this happens, then this happens so Deuteronomy chapter uh, 4 verse 23 tells us, So be careful not to break the covenant the Lord your God made with you. Do not make idols of any shape or form, for the, land, uh, for the Lord your God has forbidden this. See, that, that's an if-then statement, but it's, it's, um, it's the expectation of the if-then. If you don't, God blesses. If you do, then he doesn't. Folks, the word of God is so filled with these covenants, these contracts, these oaths that God has made for us. And we can have faith that he will never break his word. But the problem is, is that for many of us Christians, there's a special key ingredient to make sure that we live up to our side of the 
of the co- uh, covenant, of the contract, of the, of the agreement. That key ingredient is patience. Patience is that condition. You see, Abraham and Moses and so many others had to have patience as they waited to see the promises in their life fulfilled. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 15, then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. I want to I tell so many of you this morning that you may be here and you may be struggling with the promises that God has made for you. But I want to let you know that there is hope that you and I can have, and it's immovable. There is nothing more Christian than hope in our lives. Along with faith, hope, and love, which are, are the, the, three, the three graces of the Christian life, hope is so important. We find that at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That there's three things that will remain, faith, hope, and love. And you and I can trust that hope is never going to go away. We can hope in Christ because he's our real hope. You know, there is such a thing as a fake hope. You know, that empty optimism, that, that kind of belief that everything's just going to be okay because it really needs to be okay. I'm, I'm kind of optimistic by nature. There's optimism that I have that it's not going to rain on my picnic or, or maybe, I don't know, that my favorite team is going to win. But the hope that we have in Christ Jesus is not the same kind of hope as that. It's real and it's genuine and it's based on the promises that God himself made. The same one that put gravity into place is the same one that upholds his word. See, many people in life face incredible storms and incredible problems and out of their naivety because they're trying to be optimistic and encouraging. They put their hope in something different and and things always fall apart. They get hurt. But we have a real hope that's based on God, not empty wishes. We trust in Him, even when we can't make sense of the situation. When we're coming up and we, we see a picture in front of us, but it doesn't make any sense to us. Can you have hope in God's promises even when life doesn't make sense? When you don't see the picture because your perspective is wrong, do you still trust in his word? That's the question that we have. See, we put our hope in many things in life. Our hope is safe as Christians. Our hope is secure. Think about all the things in life that we trust, that we put our hope in. We put our hope in a seatbelt, that in a case of a crash, it's gonna hold us and it's gonna protect us. We, we put our, ho- ho- our hope in helmets, 
so that if we fall off a bike, we don't get hurt. We even put our hope in those little sleeves that we slide over our coffees so that it doesn't burn our hands. But I got news for you. God's promises, his hopes protect you better than a seatbelt. God's promises, they protect you better than a helmet. And I got news for you. God's promises can keep you away from a heat that's greater than the coffee. Keeps you out of the hellfire. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. You see, hope is an altar. Back in ancient Israel, they used to erect these altars and they would hold on to the altar as the sacrifice was made. And they put their hope in the, the idea that, that that sacrifice was going to make them right with God. And if their life went on and, and they felt like they were blessed, then it must have worked. But if, they, if it didn't, they felt like it wasn't good enough. They were hoping and praying that God was going to accept their sacrifice. Well, there's no longer any sacrifices. There's no longer any killing of animals as a sacrifice. Because there's a, there was a one sacrifice that was made by Christ Jesus. And it was enough for every person. It was enough for every sin. It was enough for every shame. It was ever, enough for everything that you ever did that was wrong. It was more than enough. And now you and I can stand. And instead of placing our hope and hoping that something would cover your sin, we can hold on to the altar of God and place our hope that God, through his son, not only covered our sin, but wiped it away. See, our hope isn't just an altar. It's our hope the Bible describes it as an anchor, an anchor for your soul. There are many people in this room, and my experience when I see a crowd of this size tells me that there are many problems, many situations, many circumstances, like, like the wind and the waves of, of life that would rush in and bring confusion and chaos, bring depression, anxiety, bring fear. And some people, whenever this happens to them, they put their hopes in all sorts of things. They say, well, it's gonna be okay because I've got a little money saved up in the savings account. And then 2008 hits and the housing crisis Wipes it out. They said, well, it's, it's going to be okay because I'm in good health right now. But can I tell you, sir, ma'am, that your health doesn't always last. Well, it's okay because I've got a good job. At least I've got a good job with good insurance until the layoff comes. 
Well, it's, it's okay because at least I've got a good spouse. That's a blessing until their health crisis or, or until you get handed divorce papers that you didn't see coming. Well, okay, I've got great children. I've got good children. Until you stand between them and what they want. Family, don't get caught up in placing your hope in the things of this world that, that will fall apart, that will break, that will rust, that will, that, that will betray you, that will at some point disappoint you. Put your hope and your trust in a God that has created the universe with his word and by his word backs it up. You see, we know that our hope is like an anchor, but instead of going down in the middle of the storm, latching on to the foundation of the earth, <laughs> we cast our anchor up. And it's secured in the Holy of Holies, where Jesus has already gone before us. And we can trust in those promises because they're sure and amen. Maybe there's a lot of people here that have come into this place that are filled with trouble. The storms of life have blown around you and, and you're confused and you're dealing with situations and circumstances and ultimately you just wish that God in his gentle and loving way because he won't force you would come and remind you of the promises he's, he's made to you and restore your hope in him. That hope that even though you're going through the storms of life, you know that he'll hold you in that moment. If that's you, I wanna invite you to enter into communion with us this morning. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. And the communion that we hold is attached to some promises that he's given to us. If you don't have the communion elements in your hand, would you just simply raise your hand right now? And we'll have ushers that are, make themselves available to get you the communion. I see one. Any, anyone else that doesn't have communion? Okay, some right here. Okay, right up here. I wanna let you know that Christ's legacy is what's called an open communion church. We simply believe that if you put your faith, hope, and trust in the Lord that you are not just a that you are a part of the body of Christ so you don't have to be a member of our church because you're part of the body of Christ we invite you to take communion with us and this this communion means something so special would you stand with me all over this place now that we've received communion He promises us through this communion that his body was broken for our healing. He promises that his blood was spilled so that you and I would be forgiven of our sins. And he promises us that through this communion, 
he will come again. Heavenly Father, as we stand holding these elements in our hands, I pray, God, that you would reveal to each one of us the gravity of the promises that you've given to us and remind us that they are sure and secured not only in heaven but here on earth. That when we hope in you, Lord, it's not for nothing. Hallelujah. As we take this element of bread in our hands, we hold it just the same as Jesus held it on the night that he was betrayed. And in holding it, he broke it. And he gave thanks to, to God for it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and break the bread and let's eat it together. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for the promise that you've given to us. By your stripes, we are healed. Lord, would you heal people today? Would you touch them? Would you touch my brother with a hurt knee? Lord, would you touch those little babies that are still de dealing with medical issues? Would you touch those that are here with and sick bodies? Would you touch those that are joining us online that wish they could be here but can't? We love you, Lord. As we hold the element of the cup, Jesus said in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this is the new covenant between God and his people. Covenant. The agreement confirmed with my blood. This is his signature. On the dotted line, this is this is it. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's take it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Verse 26 says, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death my three favorite words, until he comes. There's somebody in here that needs to be reminded. Until he comes, his promises are good. His promises are sure, no matter what you're going through life. I want to say a prayer of blessing over you today as we dismiss. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for the promises that you've given to us. Lord, in these next moments, Lord, as we gather our belongings and walk out of the door, we talk, we fellowship. Lord, I pray, God, for the rest of the day that our hearts and our minds, Lord, would be reminded of the wonderful promises that you made to us in Scripture and that we're not fools for trusting in them. But Lord, we hang all of our hope on you that one day we'll see you face to face 
One day, Lord, we will be healed. One day we will be restored. And Lord, that we can walk confidently into our future knowing that you're going to be with us the entire time. Now, Lord, bless us as we find you. We give hope and we do life together. In Jesus' name.